An eccentric, childlike man loves his red bicycle. And he is so enthralled with it, and he will not sell it to his envious neighbor who is named Francis. You know, and in that moment, we see Pee-wee, who is so overwhelmed with, with conceit and, and joy with his bike, and we see his neighbor who is overwhelmed with envy. And this just sent Pee-wee on this adventure, and he, when he visited his friend Dottie in the bike shop, his bike was stolen. And he thought the bike was in the basement of the Alamo. I went to the Alamo last year, and it's not in the basement, but there is no basement in the Alamo. Did you ever know that? <laughs> Craziness. But Pee-wee set off on this trip to find his bike, and on this trip he met all types of remarkable, uh, remarkable people, from a waitress named Simone to a motorcycle gang, and eventually he discovered that his bike was being used in a movie set, and he went there to get his bike. But in this movie, we see something of a real-life struggle. Yeah, in this movie there is. And that real-life struggle that I think we all tend to fight against is the battle of our heart with conceit and envy. In some level, in our life, we all struggle with that on one side of the coin. Maybe we struggle with conceit. We think we're all that. We think what we achieved in the work world that makes us the, uh, the bomb diggity of, of all people or, or whatever it might be. Or we struggle with envy. We constantly look around at what everybody else has and we look over the fence and we struggle with what we don't have and we feel like we're missing out. You see, conceit is this excessive pride in yourself, thinking that you're all that. And envy, on the other side, is being completely discontent, like, you don't, like you're missing out on something and you're resenting other people for what they had or what they have. And please know, this has been a struggle from, the history of from all the history of time. In fact, several thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing one of his letters to the churches, he was dealing with this very struggle back then. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, Paul writes these words, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And I believe that this has become a serious, serious problem for all of us today. We constantly have a desire for the next best thing, don't we? I mean, we buy a car this year, but next year there's that new fancier model, and ours just seems old and outdated. Or I bought an iPhone last year, but this year it's the iPhone 7 Plus 2000, right? And I need that because it has this other new thing to it. And our desire for more just puts us into a competitive spirit with all those around it. I mean, just take a moment for, to examine your own heart and your own life. Sometimes in our neighborhood, we struggle with who has the better yard, who mows their grass better, who takes care of their shrubs better, don't we? Or we look around at who has the fancier car and how does ours line up? Or my child is the better ball player, a better musician, or has the better GPA, or I have the bigger house, the cooler phone. You know, we could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. Our desire for more has caused pride to settle in and humility has shifted to the side. 
And in many cases, we have lost the reality of what humility is all about and what it should look like in our life. We have downgraded humility to saying, I'm sorry for our attitudes. But humility is so much more than that. You know, so often pride and conceit and envy, we think that's the right path, but yet it just leaves us empty and bitter and broken and confused. And the end result of a prideful path is never being satisfied. Never being satisfied. So maybe, just maybe, what is truly good for business, what is really the best way to get us ahead in this world is to control that prideful, competitive spirit and nature within our heart and soothe it with a touch of humility. Maybe, just maybe, that will provide us the freedom that we're longing for, the ability to get ahead in this world. Martin Luther once said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. In all that we do, no matter if it's washing dishes or the elite of CEOs, we got to do it with all of our best ability, give our best to it. That's the path towards humility and the path towards the freedom. You see, humility is the freedom from pride and arrogance that wages war within our own heart, but yet pride is a prison that so many of us are locked up into, and when we locked up into pride, you know what it does? It destroys our attitude. It destroys our character, and eventually it breaks down our spirits. But in the path of humility, that leads us towards freedom in your own soul, the freedom that I know many of you are longing for, the freedom that you're trying to find. It gives you the ability to cope with Monday. Those, those days of Monday are difficult, aren't they? Because they reveal the beginning of the work week, getting back into the routine. But what if there was a way to cope with that? What if there's a way to overcome that? And maybe, just maybe, humility and the path of humility leads us towards that. So that's great, but how do we gain undeniable humility that gains the freedom that we're longing for, the freedom to get through this world, to get ahead in life? Well, first, jot this down. We need to understand that humility is ignited in love. Humility is ignited in love. Well, to, to unpack that a little mo- bit more, we need to ident- identify what is love. So wh- ask yourself that question. What is love? How would you define it? What does it look like? What are some basic characteristics that are revealed in the nature of love? The disappointing thing in our English language, we have one word for this feeling, love. Yet there's so many layers to that. For example, I love the Steelers. I love for lunch a big, juicy, double cheeseburger. I love my wife. Now I hope 
that when I say I love my wife, it does not mean the same thing as I love a cheeseburger. If so, I have problems, right? See, there's so many layers to love. And in the Greek language, I really enjoy the different layers that the words use for love because there's so many different words that, that, that's used for love. For example, there's eros. Eros is this tingly feeling, this trembling, this excitement, this elation, this joy, the butterflies are boiling up. I'm just so excited for this moment. You know, it's a passion. Then there's phileo. Phileo is this brotherly love. It's this companionship. It's this my hanging with my boys, building community, building relationships with other people, friendships. And then there's the agape love. Agape love is the you are my everything love. You are my prize above all other prize type of love. I'm going to go all out for you. I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. That's agape love. That is the love that sent Jesus to the cross for you. And within love, there are so many layers. But the bottom line is this. Our love whatever the layer it is, drives us towards something. It drives us towards something. Because whatever we love, whether it's an object or a person, that thing or that person has our heart. And so whatever has our heart tends to drive our choices, our words, our attitudes, our actions. So take for a moment, examining your life. What drives you? What motivates you? Because ultimately that reveals your heart and who has your love or what has your love. And there's so many things that, could be, that we drive towards that has our heart. For example, it could be work, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder, being the next great thing in this, in this business could have your heart. Or maybe it's making more money. You want everything, all the bells and whistles that this world provides, and so making money has your heart, and you do everything you can to possibly make more and more money. Or maybe it's family. Family has your heart, so everything you do is based around your family and your kids' hobbies. Or maybe, just maybe, it's Jesus. And he drives your heart and your attitudes and your actions. And within the nature of love, we all struggle with this battle. And the battle is, what, I, what is the object of my love? Is it me, myself? Is it peace, where I just try to stay away from all conflict to achieve it? Or is it others, or is it something else? And humility is recognizing something. The things that I often run towards that gain my heart are ultimately, usually, generally speaking, my own personal gain, my own personal satisfaction. Usually, generally, the tendency of my heart, I love myself, and I want to please myself. And that's the reality of pride. When we start running after ourself, and it leads us down this destructive path. Because in your life, in your pursuits, in all of our pursuits, we become a reflection of something. 
We become a reflection of what we're running after or, or what we have developed in our life. For example, I like to call this generational reflection. You, ever, you remember the song, the old song, Cats in the Cradle? I love that song, but the reality of it, when I hear it and listen to it, it just nails me right in the heart because the reality is, as he sang this song, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And as I hear those words and I reflect on my life, in so many ways, I have become just like my father. And as I look at my three sons, in so many ways, they have become just like me. And boy, do I feel bad for them. <laughs> That's the generational reflection. And what tends to happen as the, the things that gravitate towards our heart that we drive towards are these expectations. I bet there's, it's safe to assume that there's many people sitting in this room that are living their life trying to meet up to the expectations of their home, their family, their parents. And that's what's driving you. And you become a reflection of that. Or maybe you set some other expectations in your life that you're trying to drive towards or become, and that has become what you are a reflection of. But please, don't make any mistake about it. We become a reflection of who we are and what we do and what we have become. And the totality of what we are talking about is our true reflection is the real nature of your heart. We talked about this two weeks ago. As Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, the reality of how you act, what the words you use is a reflection of the real condition of your heart. And that's revealed in our humility or our pride. And humility, humility starts there. It starts with a full understanding of where your heart is at and what drives you and what do you long for, what do you love. But from there, humility fosters a love of others. It fosters this love of others. You know, it's reflected in what Paul describes as the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you never read this before, but in Galatians chapter 5, as we continue on in verses 22 through 23, Paul reveals these, these characteristics that we try to achieve in our life that he calls the fruits of the Spirit. He writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul is saying here, in my life, the characteristics, the normalcy of my life should be revealed by this list. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. Forbearance is just a fancy word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These should be what are evident in the person that I am. But recognize how Paul describes these characteristics. Do me a favor, in your notes, circle the word fruit. This word is everything in the realization of what Paul is describing here. Because he says, these are fruits of your spirit, of the spirit of God. And so the reality that we need to understand here is so often in our life, we try to achieve these things on our own. 
We try to develop these fruits. We try to to develop peace or love or self-control on our own. But the reality is these characteristics are fruit. You know, for example, I could go outside in the yard and I want an apple. Now, it wouldn't work so well if I just went out there and said, boy, I really want an apple. Let me figure out how to get an apple. Apple. An apple disappears. That wouldn't be, it wouldn't happen, right? If it did happen, I'm going on America's Got Talent because that's pretty awesome. But how do I create an apple? Well, I get seeds for an apple tree. And I, t- I plant them in that yard in proper sunlight, proper soil, and I continue to add water. And over time, that tree begins to grow and develop. And soon after, uh, after all that happens, an apple forms. Yet we live in a fast food me- mentality of a society that I want this stuff now. I want to walk out this door and I want to have peace and I want to have patience and I want to have self-control and I just want it to happen. But you know how it happens? It doesn't happen just by wishing it to to be. It happens by developing your tree. That's what Paul is describing here. Understand, spiritually speaking, we're just a bunch of trees. And if you want to be healthy spiritually, there needs to be time and effort put into developing a healthy tree by building the root system that is you. Because a strong root system develops a healthy tree that produces the sweet-tasting fruit physically in the world and also spiritually in the characteristic of who you are. And so to have the proper root system We need to have the proper ingredients. We need to take the time and journey with Jesus, connect with him in his word, walking in obedience, surrounding ourselves with other people who are there to encourage us and strengthen us and keep us accountable. And God is closer to closer to Jesus. And the more that we are connected to God, the stronger our root systems will be, which develops a healthy tree. And that, my friends, produces the fruit that Paul is talking about. The more we live our life connected to Jesus, the healthier we'll be. The less we connect with Jesus, the more unhealthy spiritually you will be. And and the more brokenness you'll experience, the more disappointment you'll have, and the more emptiness you'll feel. That's why it's so important to focus on the root system. Another movie I really enjoy is Karate Kid. I love, those 80 movies are awesome, aren't they? Karate Kid Part 3, he was having some serious problems, and there were some, some button heads with Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel was trying to grow up and take care of his problems on his own, and it just wasn't working out, and his enemy broke and snapped the bonsai tree in half. And Mr. Miyagi, without Daniel knowing it, taped it up, and he restored the health to that bonsai tree. And, and one night when, when Daniel was just broken and, and at his wit's end and feeling like there's no out to his issues, Mr. Miyagi pulled him aside to the bonsai tree and said, look at this tree. And Daniel was like, how, you, it's, it's fine. I thought it was going to die. And Mr. Miyagi said, this tree has strong roots. And because it has strong roots, it survived. And in Mr. Miyagi's tone, Understand. Yeah, I love Mr. Miyagi. Do you understand that? Do we understand that to have the healthy tree of us, we need to put in the effort to develop the strong root system. 
And that strong root system will develop into spiritual healthiness, the freedom that you desire. And it goes and it happens by not being focused on me and loving me and what I want and what I desire, but becoming more and more like Jesus. You see, there's two, two truths in this physical world that you will not change. You want to know what they are? Very simple, very basic. Anything that is healthy grows. Anything that is unhealthy eventually comes sick, becomes sick, and if it's not taken care of, it will die. Bottom line. You can't change the reality of the physical nature of this world. And what Paul is doing here is he's describing us in the reality of the physical nature. We are the same way spiritually. If we work on developing a healthy root system, spiritually speaking, you will grow. You will develop that fruit. But if you don't and you disconnect and you run towards your heart and yourself, you'll become spiritually unhealthy. And you'll have those issues. Jesus said, this isn't your notes, that the two greatest commandments, the thing that sums up everything, is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So the path towards freedom in your heart is to stop focusing on yourself and walk the path of humility, which is loving God and loving others above all other things. And there you find the freedom that you long for. You see, the heart of humility is others, which we're going to circle back around to in a moment. But in order to understand humility, we need to look at the bad side of our heart, and that's pride. You know, pride fosters a love of self. That's what pride does. It fosters a love of self within us. In fact, Paul takes a step further in verses 19 through 21 in Galatians chapter 5. There he writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's some pretty strong language, and he calls this the acts of the flesh. And he uses a word there that I think we need to highlight. Obvious. Obvious. Circle that word. This is a key word in this whole journey that Paul is writing here. Because he says the acts of the flesh, our human self, our heart, the prideful heart, are obvious. In other words, he's saying they are self-evident. And what Paul is saying here, that if we truly take the time to examine the normalcy of our life, and I'm not talking about, oops, I messed up last night. We all have our slips and falls. That's not what we're referring to. The normalcy of who you are is self-evident. You know, you think about it. The normalcy of who you are and how you respond to different things in life is self-evident, but there's a, there's a problem that we struggle with why it's not so obvious to us on a regular basis. And we all do this. You know, just like how we don't like going to the doctor. We don't like going to the doctor because, well, there we learn the true assessment of our physical health. And most of us, we don't want to hear that, right? We don't want to hear the news. And so many of us don't like being honest with ourselves about that assessment. And the same is true spiritually. We often don't like 
the real assessment of where we are spiritually. And so we look the other way and we're not honest with ourselves or when people are there in our life who are trying to encourage us to make better choices, we push them out or we argue with them about why they're wrong. We don't want to hear the true condition of our heart. Or we keep things general often because of the previous struggle where we don't want to have the self-assessment, we overlook our true nature and coming to the belief that we are mostly good, right? You know, I'm a pretty good guy. I do good most of the time. I mean, I try to treat people nice. I try to help people when I can. I mean, I'm a good person. And so since I'm mostly good, then I'm all right, right? And by going with that worldly logic, we often overlook the reality of the condition of our heart. And that's what Paul's trying to get to here. And what Paul does is he takes the tendency of what that we do of talking in generalities. And he says, guys, it's time to get specific. I'm done being general. It's time to get specific and let's talk about the true nature of our heart and what tends to be evident in our choices, in our attitudes, in our lifestyle, in who we are. And he lists in, this, in these verses 15 items that really can be divided up into four sections, four categories. There's the personal immorality, attempts to control the supernatural and be God, selfishness, drunken carousing. Now, please know this is not an exhaustive list. This is not an end-all, be-all of, of struggles of, the, of our life, but it is an adequate way to illustrate the tenor of our sinful nature that Paul is revealing here, which if you really get to the core of all this, the sinful nature is truly centered around pride. It's centered around pleasing myself or getting what I want. And the love of self kind of pulls us down this path of destruction and emptiness, and brokenness. And look what Paul writes in verse 21, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but this verse scares me. It should cause us to pause and really reflect. We often overlook this thinking, oh, God's a God of love. You know, we're all good. We're all going to heaven. Let's not worry about it. Let's not take it too serious. But Paul says, guys, if this is the normalcy of your life, you're going to miss out. Jesus even said, you know, some people will come to me and I will tell them, I never even knew you. This is serious. And why is it serious? Because ultimately, this is the reflection of, of your heart, which is the realization of what has your love. That's how it all comes together. The Bible kind of puts it all together. Where is your heart? Who has your heart? Are you living to please yourself? Or are you striving to live more and more like Jesus? See, circling back around to the heart of humility Humility is revealed in a lifestyle of being others-focused. 
focusing on him and who he desires and what other people need, loving God and loving others. And Paul took this to a whole new level in his next letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter two, he revealed the true nature of Jesus, which is portrayed in humility. This is kind of lengthy, but read along with me in Philippians two, verses five through 11, in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Did you catch the example that Jesus lived? You know, Jesus is not a God who said, do these things without falling through on his own. He never is asking us to do anything that he never has been through or has done already. And he says, follow my example. My example of humility is being others focused. It is focusing on other people that is revealed through my sacrifice. Agape love. That's how Jesus revealed his love to us. And he revealed the heart of humility and in the first verse of this, of this section, Paul wrote, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset. In our relationships. Since when do we have the luxury to pick and choose which relationships in our life we will be Jesus to and who we will not? When do we have the luxury to say, you know what, here at church, I'm going to be Jesus to people because we're all like-minded and I love these guys. I want to help everybody move closer to Jesus. But, you know, in the world, at work, or, you know, when I'm trying to buy a new car, whatever I mean, I, I can't be taken advantage. I need to get ahead. So put that Jesus stuff to the side and now it's time to take charge. But what if, what if, in all of our relationships, we are to live out humility in sacrifice? And what if that really gave you the best path towards getting ahead? Because ultimately, we have to come to an understanding. My goal is not to get ahead in this world. It's not. And when we make that the ultimate goal, we're missing out because ultimately, spiritually speaking, our goal is heaven, his kingdom. That's where the hope is. That's where the freedom is. It's not in this world. And Paul said, in all of our relationships, to have the same mindset. And to get real practical with this, what Paul is saying here, to have the same mindset, is to have a fixed mental attitude that predetermines our responses to and interpretations of certain situations. You know, it's the habitual action that we all fall prey to. For example, when you're leaving church today and you're going down the parkway and when that person cuts you off, how do you respond? Do you roll down the window and start cussing them out? How do you respond when you go to the, the, go to the restaurant this afternoon and, and it, the order doesn't come out the way that you hoped it to? How do you respond in life circumstances? 
See, in our life, we've developed habits in how we respond in certain circumstances. And when Paul says to have the same mindset as Christ, we need to develop a habit that when life happens, our tendency is to be Jesus, not more like the world. That's what he's describing here. That's what it means to have the same mindset. So how do we develop that habit in our life? Well, just like a person in sports, you know, who wants to be the great athlete, the next best athlete, they have to practice. And no one likes to practice. But in practice, you do the same skill. You do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you want to develop a habit with that skill so that when you're in the game, it just happens. You don't even have to think about it anymore. It just happens. And that is the same uh, reality in our spiritual journey. At some point in our journey, we have to put it into practice. At some point, we need to take what we read in God's word, what we hear in the weekend messages, what we discuss in our growth groups, and put it into practice. Develop the habit so that when life happens, our tendency is to be more like Jesus and less like the world. That's what it means to have the same mindset and what we need to strive for. Before those verses, in verses 1 through 4 of Philippians 2, Paul writes these words, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each, other, each of you to the interest of others. What Paul is saying here is as followers of Jesus, we need to be united in his mission, which is being others focused, loving God and loving others in who I am. And stop, Paul said, stop doing things out of your selfish ambition. Stop running after what you desire. Stop going down the path of pride because it just leads to destruction. But follow the example of Christ. In humility, live out his love. Because look what it says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride is the path to disgrace, is the path to destruction. We think it helps us get ahead in this world, but it doesn't. It just moves us back. But humility comes wisdom. It's allowing God to love us and love others through us. And in humility, no matter what the life circumstances are around you, in humility, when you walk that path, you will experience freedom. You will experience the peace and the love that only comes through the example of Jesus. And that's ultimately what he desires in your life. Because our goal, ultimately, it's not to get ahead in this world. Our goal is to live a life of Jesus and to begin to experience his kingdom now as we prepare for it for all eternity. And that is the path to hope and to freedom. And my friends, that is what's good for business. Let's pray together.